This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. On the show, we chat to the unsung heroes of customer experience, the people who are working behind the scenes to make CX great. And on each episode, you'll learn from their examples and get aha moments and practical takeaways. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Today, we're speaking with Byron Cannon, CEO of LDK Seniors Living, one of Australia's most advanced seniors retirement living and aged care communities. Byron has had a career in law as well as experience running aged care facilities in the past. And now he leads LDK, which is actually an acronym for their three core principles, love, decency, and kindness. On today's episode, you'll hear how LDK enacts those three values throughout every aspect of the business. You'll also learn why culture is all important when selecting new staff members, and you'll hear how LDK is disrupting the decades-old industry of aged care. Customer Experience Leaders host Michael Momsen spoke to Byron in mid-2020. Tell us a little bit about, about your story and background coming into LDK, and then we'll, uh, we'll unpack that a bit more. I do have a legal background. I had a, a sort of small to medium law firm in, a, in doing the legal work for a business called Freedom Aged Care, and our, our founder and managing director of LDK, Paul Brown, has been a passionate disruptor. Right. In the seniors living industry for the, the 20 odd years that he's been in it, he's built some fantastic businesses. And I was lucky enough to sort of go on, on, on the journey of, of freedom aged care. But from the legal side, Paul ended up selling that business and approached me a little bit after it sold uh, to basically come and play. So right. I thought about it. I had the opportunity to watch uh, their journey from the sidelines and the passion that they had and the values that they had as a business and the, the genuine desire to, to change and uh, I bought into that pretty quickly so it was a great opportunity. Does that bring you to LDK or that was uh, that was previously at Aspire? Uh, that was at Aspire previously before that so Aspire is one of the owners of LDK. Paul and I uh, hit the road probably for a 12-month period when I first joined right. him to start looking for opportunities and investors. You would know from your dealings with uh, people in the aged care that it does require a fair amount of capital to start yes. up a business in this industry. So we went looking for a partner. We made a promise to ourselves we wouldn't partner with anyone who didn't align with our values. We, mm. we set ourselves quite early. And we were lucky enough to be introduced to Cromwell Property Group, who's our, our partner within LDK. And yeah, uh, nice. got an amazing alignment and, and great opportunities. Aging population and everything that we know about the industry, both in terms of size, opportunity, importance, caring for our loved ones, uh, that next stage of life. We'd love to hear about what sort of sparked the idea of taking a different approach and what are some of those core pillars that, that makes what you guys do quite different. Taking the different approach was quite easy because, as I said, our, our managing director and founder, Paul Brown, has passionately wanted to, dis- to disrupt the industry. And LDK is probably the, the evolution or the next next step in the evolution of, of Paul's journey through the, the aged care and seniors living industry. Looked at the beautiful retirement living environments that you have around Australia. And then through his experience as a police officer, um, seeing how Australians mistreated our seniors by them having to move from a beautiful two or three bedroom retirement living apartment and then all of a sudden an incident uh, occurs uh, and they end up in a 18 square metre nursing home right. with a lot of their human rights removed. 
in, in his experience back then, to basically ask the question, why? Why is this happening? We can mm. be doing something different. These people fought our wars. They built our country. We need to treat them with a greater deal of respect and, uh, and, and allow them to live the last years of their life in a loving environment. What are some of the things that are unique in terms of what you're doing? We're a really different model. We challenged ourselves right at the, the beginning to, to establish what the LDK difference is because you can talk about being unique, but sometimes you might not be. Right. So the, the, the four key pillars, I suppose, for the LDK difference is firstly our one move promise. So that, that's a very strong promise that if you move in to live with us, we'll give you all the care and support that you need through the end of your life and you won't have to move to a nursing home. The other key difference to us is the simplicity of our contracts and our financial offering. It's very simple and easy to understand and people get it quickly. We also promote a difference. We have a, a very vibrant lifestyle for life. You don't lose a lot of the lifestyle aspects that you might have when you move into a, a nursing home. So you can do all of the things that you want to do and when you want to do them in a very vibrant uh, community rather than a hospital-type environment. Mm -hmm. The older nursing homes and traditional nursing homes provide it. The other key difference for us is our culture, and we, we articulate that as saying that LDK is about DNA. So everything we do every day is with LDK, and we, we wear that on our sleeve and we promote it and we talk about it literally daily. It's a very, very strong part of our business. Mm. It'd be good to unpack some of those values. Just real quickly, does L LDK stand for anything? Is it? Uh... I'm sorry, I, I keep talking about LDK. It's... Um, Love, decency, and kindness. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. So the, the, the LDK actually <laughs> answers the question of uh, the values. Yeah, like un, un, unpack those values a bit because it sounds like that's coming through really strong, you know, at a founder level and at a pre even finding investor support. It sounds like that was very much front and center. So, yeah, we would love to understand that. Our, our values are literally the, the center of, of what we do. Every decision that we make, it revolves around the, the values of love, decency and kindness. We, we debated quite heavily whether we would actually have those values as our name because that can come unstuck pretty quickly if you get it wrong. Very true. So we took what we thought was a courageous decision to say, no, they're our values. We wear them on our sleeve. Mm. We talk about them every day. We, we, we want to be judged by our values. So let's make that our name. And, uh, and we do. We get judged by both our staff and our residents on our LDK school. Now, that's great. I'd love to hear any, um, any examples or stories that come to mind where these values are, are showing up. It's a really good question. It's funny because I was at our, our Greenway Views our development down in Canberra, uh, which we opened in January and we're welcoming more residents in. And I was actually joking with one of the, uh, our senior executives that it's, uh, it, it's funny because there are so many stories that you hear on oh, a daily yeah. basis. We've actually created an LDK story channel, uh, oh, right. our, our communication channel, so that people can, can share them. One of the beautiful ones that we had last week was uh, one of our residents uh, who moved into Canberra, comes from one of the Eastern Bloc uh, countries. Our managing director and a few of our team were sharing a drink with them uh, in our, our bar one afternoon. And that's one beautiful thing is that our interrelationship with our residents is unbelievable. They are friends. So anyway, this gentleman started talking about his mother who had died in the war and uh, he'd witnessed some atrocities and he started to become quite upset. A fellow who's in our tech team, one of our, our project managers, took it upon himself to walk this gentleman back to his room and sat with him for nearly an hour and listened to his story, comforted him, uh, relayed stories about uh, some of his upbringing so they connected and they became friends. Uh, yeah, we, right. did a, we did a video for our nurses, for International Nurses Day, 
and to hear uh, what residents say about our nurses and our care team where they describe them as friends, uh, the relationships that they've built because of the little things that people do that make a huge impact to other people's lives. That's LDK. Mm. And why is it that that would be hard in a in a traditional environment? Like, Because I, I imagine humans want to do the right thing and if you get the employment right and you have the right people, uh, they would potentially, you know, in the right scenario and culture, they'd want to go above and beyond. I'm assuming, I don't know, like are there systems and processes and, you know, or just over clinical ways of, of traditionally approaching it that you're able to overcome some of those elements or is it primarily in the people and the hiring and then allowing for the, the greater, I don't know, space and time to be able to, to deliver those, those extra LDK? You've touched on a couple of things there. I think one of them is risk. When you see Four Corners stories and uh, you hear uh, some of the stories that come out of the Royal Commission, which, which by the way, are, I think, a minority. Uh, right. and I think in, in the large uh, care organisations in Australia do an amazing job, okay. uh, full, full stop. But I think what you find is through uh, funding mechanisms but also the risk environment that they live in, you have a huge amount of very empathetic people who want to care for, for our elderly and want to do the right thing. And they're operating environments where they're almost suffocating because they have to sprint from one person to the next and, mm. and to the next and, and do their care in, in minutes uh, rather than enable them to have that personal relationship with the resident where they're caring for them as genuinely someone that they're caring for uh, with, with a capital C uh, rather than just providing uh, some form of, of clinical care in a commodity type base. The care that we deliver is, is delivered at cost, uh, meaning we don't make any profit out of our care. That combined with the technical investment that we've made in our technology and the efficiencies that we can achieve by operating in a retirement living environment rather than in the suburbs as a home care provider enables us to do what we call LDK time. So our staff are actually required to spend time with their residents and report mm. back and tell us some stories about the, the resident's grandchild and the, what they did for soccer on the weekend or, or the, have a cup of tea with them, get to know them on a personal basis. It, it yeah. makes their life a lot more fulfilling in the residence. That makes a lot of sense. And, and for those who may not be as familiar with the aged care environment and just some of the terminology, obviously residential aged care is, is I suppose, what you would classically think of as a, as a nursing home often requires more medical support and so forth, where retirement village is an alternative way of living in a community, usually quite active, may, may have the odd you know, health issue that needs some support, but broadly can live independently. Yeah. And they're obviously, can, you know, sit side by side. It sounds like you transition, if you live in the same place and then you just dial the care differently. One of the things that we learned uh, during that period of time where, where Paul and I were going around with, with our team and looking for investors is we had the opportunity to sit on the sidelines. This was during the whole Four Corners disaster that hit the, the industry back in 2017, I think it was. So it enabled us to listen and learn about what the consumer wants. And there were some themes that came from the consumer that, that enabled us to really build this business. Paul has been speaking about this for a long time, but it, I think it's become more relevant in recent years that the modern consumer in our industry wants certainty on their costs. They want transparency uh, in their costs. They want to stay at home for as long as they possibly can. And when they move, they only want to move once. What we don't understand about the traditional seniors living industry is that traditionally you would retire 
a certain percentage of the population would move into retirement living, which is traditionally independent living where you don't provide care and services. Right. And then an event happens, uh, a stroke, or they become sick for whatever reason, and their care needs rise, and that person then has to move from their two- or three-bedroom beautiful independent living apartment into a 20-square-metre nursing home. They're separated from their spouse. They can't take a pet. Right. Um, they can't take their own medication. A lot of human rights. It's actually a very traumatic experience for that person and their family. We're a service-based model. We're not a traditional. We, we operate under the Retirement Villages legislation, but we provide home care. So all the care and services come to you in the comfort of your own home all the way through to palliative care. Mm. So we deliver all the care and services you would get through to end of life from a nursing home, but in the environment of your own home. Mm, makes sense. And for, for those uh, who, yeah, certainly non-Aussies uh, listening, who may not be familiar with the Four Corners 2017, it was effectively a, an investigative TV piece that, that, that highlighted you know, some of the letdowns in the, the nursing home industry. Is there anything that, that's worth, I mean, you mentioned that not everyone, you know, falls in that bucket and obviously it highlights some gaps and some very real gaps and obviously a lot of people have, you know, rushed to deal with those. But it'd be good to actually just get your take on that. So there's one which is kind of like the business model aspect and how that's different. So, yeah, well, let's we'll keep unpacking that. But specifically around the, the four corners, which then led to a government royal commission. And I'm not too sure how other countries, US, UK, you know, Europe have, if they've gone through similar scenarios, but I suppose it's, it's, it's a particularly unique thing that happened for Australia, right? There was this big sort of... Meteor. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like this sort of cultural awareness of, oh gosh, we are letting down. Oh, we didn't realise that we're letting, letting down our, our loved ones and our, our elderly so badly. And that sort of shone, shone a spotlight on. It'd be good to yeah, just touch on, you know, how you see, see that and how you see the after effects from that. And there was a lot within that journalism that I don't agree with, but there was certainly some... Uh, aspects within that that the the broader community needs to be aware of and, right. and largely it's about and obviously your, your podcast is about consumer but it really puts a focus on the consumer mm. uh, traditionally retirement living has been a property play it's a very transactional oh, uh, play traditionally your nursing home environments is very care and services based uh, almost a model mixed with uh, a real estate transaction Hence, it's called a nursing home. Very clinically based care-driven right. model that, in our opinion, and, and I know a lot of people may not share that opinion, it takes away a lot of basic human rights. And a lot of that is now coming to the, the focus in the Royal Commission mm. um, where they're saying we need to be treating our seniors much better. They mm. need to be treated with love. The word love has been articulated many times in the Royal Commission. Right. Um, we need to treat them with kindness. We need to treat them as if we would be that person in that room. Uh, how would you treat your mum and dad? Right. Would, would you do that? And that's a question we ask ourselves a lot. Would you live here? Would you have your mum and dad live here? But back to the, the meteor of, of that four corners, it exposed, I think, a, a lot of things that the modern-day consumer demands. And it helped us to shape our business. And they're the things that I mentioned before. They, they demand transparency. Right. They demand sim simple contracts. Uh, there's so much confusion around retirement living contracts and nursing home contracts that the consumer just doesn't understand it. Mm. They don't understand the value proposition. And I think the industry found it very difficult to articulate that value proposition to the consumer so they can understand it and, uh, and, and buy in. Mm, no, that, makes, make, that makes sense. And it'd be good to understand when you say, you know, lose 
some elements of human rights and just, you know, some of the the bits that you sacrifice if you go to, I suppose it might even be worth painting it as a pre-2017 worst case scenario where there's there's actually some really bad stuff, like we're talking abuses and, and ne- neglect and so forth. But I suppose like as an overall model, you're talking about things like you can't bring your pet in uh, as an example. Do you mind just describing what some of those, those top line elements that, yeah, that, that you have to give up, you know, in that, in that traditional model? In that, in the traditional model, and that's what we're, we're talking about, and, and there is some change but i still strongly feel that the traditional model is dying right because it's not what it's not what the consumer wants but in in the traditional model mum and dad have to be separated because you only have a, a one small room in your traditional model you can't take your pet now social isolation and the ability to deal with pets is scientifically proven to pre- uh, elongate life you can't take your own medication you, you're told because of the the strict funding restrictions that they have. You're told when you have to have a shower. You're told when you have oh, to eat. Your your human choice is taken away. The dignity that you have in, in choosing what risk you might want to take within your own life mm. has gone. Now, the government have uh, released uh, and updated their aged care quality standards. And one thing that we really applaud is that they've put dignity of risk at the, the very first standard. So, mm. Uh, we need to allow our seniors to embrace risk. Uh, mm. If it's safe and sensible for our seniors to live the way that they want, well, that's the way that they should be. It's almost they, like they're us. Because it's fair enough if I go to hospital that I can't, <laughs> I can't bring my pet, <laughs> you know, or I yep. can't take risks that uh, either affect myself or others. I don't know, I want to smoke or I want to do something. You know, that, that, that's fair enough that in a hospital scenario that you sort of you lose some of that and you sort of don't yep. have a lot of choice of what you what you need to eat because you've got an operation tomorrow or whatever it may be. But I suppose what you're saying is there needs to be far more flex in that system as opposed to just throwing a sort of hospital-grade care model those those final moments in life. That's right. Promote wellness. Mm. You ask, have 10,000 people in a room and ask all 10,000 of them to put their hand up if they'd like to go to a nursing home. You won't mm. see one hand raised because of the stigma. Uh, that that comes with that. We want to flip that on its head. Uh, mm. We want people to embrace the fact that they can really enjoy those final years of their life. Our one move promise is is one of the strongest promises that you can make. We're promising that we'll give you all of that care. People can pass away beautifully in their home, surrounded by their family and loved ones, knowing they're right. in great care. And we we celebrate that. Mm. Uh, we. We say promise made, promise kept when a resident has passed away and we, we celebrate the fact that we're able to deliver that promise and the feedback we get from families is that they're so grateful of the fact that they could actually share that uh, in mm. that, that environment. Are there trade-offs that you have to make because you're not clinically focused, if you will? No, we're very clinically focused. Just like a nursing home, if someone suffers a stroke or has a heart attack, we call yep. an ambulance and they go to hospital. Sure. So we, yes. we don't, don't, don't provide that, that level of care. We, from the very beginning, made a strong statement that we would never compromise on the quality of the care and we judge ourselves very strongly on that. So as a startup organisation, you could imagine the, the breadth of skill set that you need to build a, a business um, mm. from property to finance to yeah. sales to marketing to hospitality clinical to food. Stuff, yeah. To, yeah, and then, and then the clinical, clinical stuff. huge so, on its own, right? Yeah. So our first big investment was in our clinical governance. So we have a very, very strong governance framework uh, of policies and procedures. And our first hires were around uh, that clinical governance. So managers to make sure that we address that. And there was a solid 18 months worth of work 
that went into our clinical care governance. Uh, when we applied for, in, in Australia, it's called an approved provider for you to be able to access government funding to provide government-funded care. When we applied, there was only 4% of operators being approved at that time. So that was a very big test on our clinical governance framework. We do internal auditing and we recently had an external audit on our clinical governance and compliance and they're passing with strong colours, but it's a very, very strong aspect of our business. We have clinical governance committees and subcommittees and they report up to risk committees. So our, our governance is very strong. So we don't mm. compromise on that, that quality. The extent of the care is all the way through to the end, end of life, so palliative care. So right. uh, our national care manager did a PhD in palliative care. So we work then with external doctors and, uh, and other allied health to make sure that we deliver the absolute best quality of, of care that we, we need. That's and we've invested heavily in technology as well, sorry, to, to make sure we can deliver that. If you if you build it from the ground up, you can't build it with a one home, still have all the benefits of living the life that you want, but still get the high care that you may need. It doesn't necessarily need to be in a in a hospital like um, setting. That's right. And also any uh, new development that we do is built to what the building code is called Class 9C, which is your aged care. So we have wider door frames. Right. Um, so you can get lifters and proper circulation within rooms so you can provide that level of care. And therefore, it's in, literally impossible to deliver the service of clinical care if you don't have some of those. That's right. In some established sites, we, we bought a village, northern suburbs of Sydney, and it, the, the topography of that village does make some of the care delivery challenging, but it's not something that we weren't able to overcome. Mm, so mm. it's a, you adapt to, to that environment. Mm. So I want to touch on the sort of customer-centric nature of the approach. And I think it's interesting in with aged care and, and, and so forth, just even the term customer is, is new, right, You know, as opposed to you know, resident or you know, client. And then you kind of really have two major customers. You obviously have the resident, the, the, the elderly that you're providing the care for. But then, I mean, the other big customer is no doubt the family because they're potentially involved, certainly economically, uh, often at times, if not directly, indirectly. And they're the ones that are seeing the, the quality of the care and they're probably the ones that are going to have the, the strongest opinion. How do you think about what it means to be customer-centric you know, with those those three elements, and there may be others. <laughs> there are there are other customers there. We we pride ourselves on being a, a consumer centric business. We start with our values, and we start by being a purpose driven business. People first, and we've always said people first. The metrics will always follow if you stay strong to your values and your culture. Our sales and marketing team unbelievably impressive when you look at the detail that they go into with our customer journey. Uh, from the moment that somebody clicks on a search uh, all the way through to the family receiving a check um, right. on exit uh, right. six months after uh, mum or dad have, have passed away. Our consumer is definitely the resident that moves in, but also the influencers. And nine times out of ten, it's the eldest daughter who's in her mid-50s. We know that that, that uh, person is the influencer. And if there isn't an eldest daughter... Is that right? Nine it, times it out of ten, the it's, eldest the eldest, it's the eldest daughter. Yeah, the dutiful daughters. The, there's something to a, that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Our founder, Paul Brown, describes it as a role reversal. You have right. in, in the beginning of life, mum looking after daughter. Right. And as it gets towards the end, it's, it's the daughter looking after mm. the, the parents. They, they, take that, they take that influence decision to help mum or dad mm. move into that environment. So... Our marketing and our customer journey does definitely focus on on that aspect of it as well. Mm. How did you go about just mapping out that 
customer journey, our consumer journey, and what what that ideal one looks like, and what were some of the the decisions that you made because of that process? We started with the the resident being at the centre of the universe and and the centre of the story. So every touch point in that journey had to deliver the best resident outcomes. We talk a lot about resident outcomes. It has to deliver the best resident outcome. Does it? If the answer to that is no, then we don't we don't do it. So we don't right. go down that that particular journey path, for example. So if you could imagine the customer journey uh, for a resident that comes to live with us from the resident or the daughter clicking or, or Googling uh, seniors living or aged care right. through to the experience where they speak with someone in our call centre to then have a tour or recently virtual tours that the team created within a, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks through to uh, the move-in experience, which is a critically important experience. And we, we focus heavily on a team that have a five-star move-in experience through to their meals, through the care delivery, through the interaction with the gardener. All of those things are an experience. So to map out that whole customer journey is a very, very big elephant uh, to, to chew. So we cut it down in, in little pieces yeah. and, uh, and focused on little pieces at particular points in time in our, our startup. Mm. And how did you actually go about it? Like practically, take, take me on the journey. How did you, did you work with an agency? Did you guys do that yourselves? How did you even know that that's something that you wanted to start with? Paul Brown and his son Steve and, and his other son Anthony are, are owners in the business uh, and the nephew Craig Flett also um, works in the business and, uh, and has some ownership there. They uh, Paul started the whole the whole journey, and then the boys worked within Freedom Aged Care. So Steve Brown also has a very strong sales background, working in the telecommunications industry before he got into the Freedom Aged Care. So within their DNA was the strong focus on that customer, and they had developed and evolved that through that previous business. We certainly did not cut and paste what they did because we're a very different business to what they previously had. So we had to, again, just focus on the resident and then start by looking at each little part of the journey and then building different touch points around that. And then there's a whole training piece and a technology piece software that we have to to track uh, and measure each part of that journey so we can very clearly see. I, I can look at dashboards and see where we are in different parts of the journey through that, that process. Mm. And ultimately, I can then look at our ratings for mm. all those different parts of that, that journey as well. I suppose that approach of building a business and processes from the ground up around the journey is quite, you know, it's, it's a unique approach and it allows you to find which are those moments that really matter and sort of double down on, like you say, making that a five-star move-in process. Just, yeah, practically speaking, was that just something that happened over a handful of weeks and just sort of, <laughs> and where, where were some of those aha moments? Because, you know, I think a lot of folks realize that they need to do a journey or they have some sort of artifact or, or what have you, but it's actually quite difficult to get a good customer journey together. So I'm actually interested yeah. in if you're going to build the business on this and throw millions of bucks at it, you want to make sure that it's, you know, A, accurate, they are the right things. Yeah, I'm just sort of interested in how you went about that. Sure. Mm. We have a very strong very philosophy of continuous improvement. So we always uh, seek out feedback from our residents uh, through our surveys and by just literally talking to them to find out what we can do. We have focus groups. We have a what we call our membership committee where we speak with focus groups with our residents and we test ideas. But back to your point, we didn't go external. We decided right at the beginning of this journey that unless it was like critical uh, to use agencies, for example, we'd do everything in-house. Right. And we identified different big P 
pieces of that journey. For example, sales, care, exit, move in, and uh, and identified the, the bigger pieces. And then as we went through startup phase and approached different parts of that journey, because you only have finite resources in startup, you yeah. allocate resources at a particular point in time. So we allocated the resources at a different point in that journey. And as we got towards opening, for example, we focused very heavily on the moving experience to yes. make sure that was a proper five-star. Uh, so when the timing was right, we adapt, fleshed them out. One of the things that you mentioned was, you know, to be able to have that high freedom just of chunks of time to be able to the ldk right to be able to have the time to be able to have the conversations and make those connections you require an optimization in processes and and kind of technology to be able to enable that and you can do that when you know the different moments you know in that journey what were some of the, the key elements to that like the sort of foundational building blocks both from a kind of technology and a process structure and optimization to allow us for that time and, and fat effectively uh, in the budget to be able to have the, the team be able to be true to that those values. One of the points in our discussion that uh, this, the simplicity of our model uh, mm. and our transparency of our model is, is one of the really key differentiators. What that does from a, a top view looking down is it creates simplicity in your cash flow drivers of your business, for example. We, we mm. want we want to have a big business, but we also want to have a simple business in, in what actually makes the business tick. That, that enables us to focus on different parts of the business. We knew from experience and from looking at other operators, you don't make a lot of money out of care. You don't make a lot of money out of meals. So we made the decision why, or we'll ask the question, why would we flog the business really hard to try and squeeze every last drop out of our funding and our care bucket? to try and deliver some profitability in there. Right. And we know that we're not going to sell the business based on the profit that comes from that. Our profit comes from delivering the absolute best service to our residents. So that's where we make our money from that, that purpose-driven uh, business. So when you break that down, you then have a closer look at what you're modelling uh, for your care and, and, and what subsidies you might need to deliver to deliver those best resident outcomes. So we allocate pockets of, of our funding towards that. And if we can get to parity in the delivery of our care, for example, which we will once you get operational efficiencies and yep. scale within the business and within each village, you can then say, okay, well, I don't need that extra 20 or 25% profit margin. So that 20 or 25% profit margin I can allocate to make sure that I can invest in my technologies. Mm -hmm. I can make sure that my staff are appropriately trained and aligned to my culture. We can make sure that we invest in uh, the, the technological systems to make sure that we achieve the absolute best efficiencies. And that enables us to allocate those pieces of time for our staff members to actually have that relationship and deliver LDK. You can't talk about LDK and you can't sell LDK without actually breathing it right. and behaving uh, in what we call the LDK way. So that does come at a, at a cost, but it creates value. But is it, is it primarily just the man hours that are going into care or are there other big drivers of, of kind of the cost of delivering care? Oh, it's a, a huge foundational cost in setting up your care governance systems, procedures, policies, technology. Uh, there's right. millions of dollars of investment in that. There's millions of dollars of investment in uh, technology infrastructure to have your sensor technology, your ubiquitous Wi-Fi 
to make sure that your care technology can oh, work it, yes. throughout the whole village. Yeah, nurse um, call buttons, just all the, the all that type of stuff. Yeah, but making the technology infrastructure future proof so that mm. we can deliver technology that we don't know yet exist. Mm. And then your whole care governance team that sit in the background and make sure that we are delivering uh, the best care. Uh, we recently, like for example, we deployed our care manager just recently to do an audit on our compliance for COVID nineteen. Yeah, uh, throughout throughout the whole of our our business, not just care teams. So that all of those things cost money. Uh, yes. Then you have your your base care team, uh, which you need, uh, whether you have five residents or 400 residents at each individual village, and then you have your more variable care team that's uh, aligned to the, the demand of the consumer at that, mm. that point in time. So our residents mm. effectively tell us how, how much uh, we much need, to, need to, yeah. to, to deliver at, uh, by, by having very strict care plans and very strong care governance. We can we can arrange our workforce to, to meet that demand. You basically put in a lot of infrastructure and investment both in kind of technology processes and what have you, there's kind of like a governance overhead, if you will, and then it's sort of largely people and then what they need to do, you know, whether they obviously if they need to buy stuff or have equipment, you know, unleashed to be able to do that. But it's otherwise largely man hours. And so therefore, if you can balance the left being money coming in with the right, of money going out, and if, if that, that's if, a good outcome, if that's good, then the extra fat of time, they're not having to rush around to the next care patient because you know they've got twenty things on their run sheet. If I take a hospital scenario where the nurses are always under the pump, <laughs> if you've got the right and the left matching, well then that that allows you to have that buffer for for the, for the LDK elements. That's right. From a productivity perspective, we aim for our teams to be working about seventy-five to eighty percent productivity. How do you track the LDK elements and that that 20% that you're delivering as customer outcomes? So we survey our residents frequently and we survey them on every aspect of the delivery uh, to that resident outcome from the movement experience to their sales experience to the meals to the gardening to village management to our communication with our residents and as I said before, an LDK score. So we literally asked them to score one to five stars on LDK. And I'm really proud that that is the highest score that we always get. So the residents do that. They So they give us that feedback and then we get obviously um, open feedback from them. Uh, I had three three catch-ups with three different residents on Tuesday. Just right. asking about settling in and cups of coffee and scones and that sort of stuff. But you get that, that feedback. Paul Brown. Our founder spends so much time with residents. He, he's there every day and then just mm. absolutely loves it. But that's how you get your feedback. They, they tell you. They also vote with their feet and, yes, and their pocket. So um, if they buy into our values and, and, and our culture and what we do, uh, they'll want to move in with us. Uh, at one of the villages uh, we have, it's called the Landings. And if you want to see feedback on what we do, you just Google the Landings and have a look at Google reviews. Uh, but we asked residents there to convert from their traditional retirement living model where they pay an exit fee, which is a percentage of their exit amount. We asked them to effectively give up their capital gain uh, to become an LDK member and, and sign mm-hmm. up to one move promise. Uh, they voted with their feet because 97% of the residents decided that that's what they wanted to do. Mm. That was largely because they trusted us during the process. We were authentic. It took a long time to win that that trust, particularly in that particular village environment, that should, which had been the most litigated village, I think, in New South oh, Wales right. history before we wow. took it over. But they voted with their feet and said, yeah, we, we'll buy into it because you guys, we, we trust you. So what I'd like to touch on now, we've talked about 
the care that you're giving balances with the money that you're getting in for the care and you're not trying to make any money there. So that allows you to have that extra fat, if you will, both in time and because you've got processes right uh, to be able to deliver that LDK. On the meals, it sounds like you're doing a similar type of approach. What I'd like to touch on now is, well, how do you guys make money? (laughs) Um, It's great that you're a business, uh, all of that wonderful customer experience, but you've got investors, you've got a plan, you want to grow. I'm guessing you want more people to have this great experience. We focus very heavily on our values and our purpose. And there's a lot of literature on how purpose-driven companies create value. I'm one of the biggest fans of Simon Sinek and his book, Start With Why. I've read all of his other books. We make money by doing an amazing job and delivering the best resident outcomes. Simple. From the business perspective, there are three drivers of our cash flow within the business. First driver is uh, what you typically call development profit. So if we build we build a retirement village, uh, one of our seniors living villages, and people spend money to buy to come and live there, and it costs us less, then we've made some surplus money there that helps us invest into future development. The second part is also property related, but we keep 100% of the capital gain. Our model is very simple. Uh, The third one, I'll go through the the three, the capital gain, and the third one is our membership um, levy that we charge people. To break down a model in its most simplistic form, if you, on your right hand, uh, you have property, and on your left hand, you have services. That's what people buy when they come to live in us. When you look at the property, the model there is as simple as money in equals money out. If you pay us $700,000 for your right to live with us for the rest of your life, you'll get $700,000 back within six months of you leaving, guaranteed. Uh, No questions asked. There's no sales and marketing fees, no refurbishment costs. All of your costs stop when you finish. It's as as simple as, as that promise. People understand that and they get that very quickly. What that means, but if we do a fantastic job, which we do and and we will, when you leave in four or five years time, that 700,000 might be 750 or 800,000 or, or, or more. In terms so of the value we, of the property itself? The value, the value of, the, of the unit that, that you're living in. Oh, so got we it. Might so for the that. next person to come, come in, you may put that on market saying, hey, this thing's now worth 850 for you to have yeah. this, this space. Yeah. That's right. And then we'll spend some money to sell it and we'll upgrade it. And um, right. whatever is left over it is ours. So if we do a really good job, then that will create demand and the demand will create an uplift in the price. If we do a really crappy job, then we won't be achieving that, that capital gain. So that's mm. a, a good driver for us. And uh, the other one is our, our membership. So on your right hand, you've got property. On your left hand, you've got membership. So when a resident comes to live with us, they pay uh, a membership fee. And with that membership fee comes a whole range of tangible uh, benefits that they receive and some non-tangible benefits, including uh, they have fixed fees, fixed weekly fees for life, which delivers a certainty and transparency. They get access to all of our technology. They have that genuine one-move promise where if they are living in their two- or three-bedroom apartment and they'd prefer to move to a smaller apartment where there might be more care centred in, in that location, in your traditional seniors living model, you'd have to financially and legally exit your retirement living unit oh, right. and then stump up the money to go and live in a nursing home if, if you wanted to make that move to a, a higher care environment which some of our, our villages have that's no charge we simply move your license from where you're living into into the other one that's a very very tangible uh, benefit uh, there's a whole range of, of, of benefits that they get with their membership but within that membership we don't hide away from it is an element of profit we need to make a profit to grow the business and reinvest and, uh, and look after more people. 
What are some other examples that, that, that have allowed you to do something that greater customer experience? One of our team members was speaking with a resident and her husband had passed away recently and she was missing his voice and she was relaying to him that in the home that she had just left, the answering machine uh, on the phone had his voice and she really missed listening to that. He took it upon himself to, with consent of the family, obviously, to get access to the phone recording machine. Right. Downloaded that on the USB and came back to the resident and delivered that to the resident and said, I just want you to have this because I know how much it means to you. Those things, we don't ask people to do that. When, when they buy into a culture and uh, they live and breathe that and, and genuinely want to do the right thing, it just it happens you know, it was almost organically. But as I said, those things inspire me every day to, to keep pushing this, this business forward. How do, how do you hire these people? One thing is having the processes and the time and you know, making it a focus. Like, what, Why do you think that comes to life? from the team uh, culture we hire on culture uh, if if a prospective staff member has the absolute best skill set that you could imagine but they don't align to our culture they won't get the job so mm. the cultural aspect is what we look at first we know that we can build capability within our team mm. through a very strong learning and development program so the recruitment process is critically important and they're screened at that point in time then the onboarding is really really important for that cultural immersion for starters and then we have ongoing cultural activities we have a culture committee uh, that meet every month and work out how we can better the experience of our our team COVID-19 was one of the best uh, opportunities really to dig into our culture and see how it actually worked and decided to do a a survey of our staff right in the middle of it I think late March early April when it was at its peak and anxieties were at its peak Mm. and it was the best score we've ever had purpose-driven scores and the happiness at work scores and uh, it was through the roof in in the highest of the 90th percentiles so Mm. the team has pulled together unbelievably well Larger because they had that strong foundation of, mm. of culture. We make a point to say that we are almost ruthless to the point that if a staff member doesn't wish to align with our culture or buy in to the LDK way, we physically have our staff sign up to our LDK way when they when they join or go through their induction process. But the response is that's okay. You just won't be working for us. Um, because it's it's confronting to some people uh, mm. having those values in your face. But we say that that's fine. It's okay. You can go and work somewhere else. We'll, we'll have people who want to buy in. Yes, well, I speak to a lot of people who, especially like comment on, on various elements in the podcast and the theme is, okay, yeah, I get it. Like if you're in a service-centric model, you know, some people have the service chip, you know, or they don't or they want to and they, they buy into it. You kind of need a screen for it at, at, a, at a hiring process. And you talk about the three buckets there. One is at the interview stage, the second one is at the onboarding stage, of which there's off-ramps in both of those if, if there's not. And then there's kind of the ongoing culture investment, if you will, and it being front of mind and, 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 and ensuring that everyone's aligned to that. It's the first time that I have something in writing to make that really clear and make it explicit. And I think it's really important if you're going to build a business around culture and there's something you're going to live and breathe by and it's going to determine especially your financial outcomes right uh mm. if you're, you're, you're betting you're literally betting the business on delivering these outcomes uh it makes a lot of sense to have that implicit extremely explicit uh in that that uh process it is a powerful tool it is effectively our culture on a, on a billboard so to the left hand side is our values of love decency and kindness and we looked at, again, Simon Sinek of what, what he does. Um, in our rawest form, what we do is property, finance, care, 
hospitality, all the very basic things. People don't buy that. We then look at how we do things, which is our execution with excellence, doing the right thing by people, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the, the core of that is our why, which is our values of love, decency, and kindness. So that's our values. And, and culture is values and trademark behaviours because you need to behave your values. So we then have our 12 trademark behaviours on that poster. Uh, which are things like people first, uh, facts and data, having fun, a lot of things that you, you may um, see in a number, but we, we decided that they would be our trademark behaviours and we talk about them a lot and we educate people on our trademark behaviours. So underneath the, the billboard as such that sits in our, our boardrooms or our staff rooms are then effectively cards uh, that people will sign, simply put their name and the signature. Uh, it's, it's a symbolic gesture to say of course, I'm, I'm, yeah. buying in, I'm buying into to the LDK way. And we can we call each other out on the LDK way. It's a fantastic tool to performance manage staff as well to say, hey, look, have, have a look at these behaviours. Can you tell me where you think you might not align with those? Or mm. let's have let's let's have a talk about that one. And what, what do you think that means? Mm. Uh, it's a it's a great, really good tool. And it comes back in the simplest form that we can't deliver LDK and we can't fulfil our, our vision of passionately wanting to create a legacy within seniors living in Australia mm. if we don't behave in a way that a responsible business behaves uh, mm. we, we can't we can't go and build more developments if we're not uh, creating the best service outcome and resident outcome for our residents and therefore generating the necessary cash we need to reinvest in mm. the business and, and grow uh, we we genuinely and passionately talk about creating that legacy and that is to grow and build a, a fantastic business we're talking about the, the consumer we look at our our people uh, which is our staff very strongly as the consumer as well um, mm. so our residents are at the center of our universe and our, our staff are right there next to them so mm. we need to invest very heavily in them because they're the ones our carers are some of the most important people in our business it's not me Mm. It's not our directors, it's not the executive team. Those people at the coalface that deliver those little small things that make the big for the residents. Mm. You can't be customer first until you're team first because it's that's the it. team that's delivering those customer outcomes. Now, it's the role yeah. of the business to create the structure and the processes and you know the economic incentives to be able to make that you know happen. But to get the right people, you kind of need to have the right screening and onboarding and, and, and ongoing culture. So that will have to be a conversation for another day, Byron, because there's so much that <laughs> I want to unpack on. How oh, do you for that? How do you onboard for that? How do you get that continuous culture, that continuous improvement? But I want to end on all things pandemic. And this is actually the first conversation that we've had post uh, pandemic. What were some of the big things that happened and how you guys needed to change and that you had to do? We were meant to have a grand opening of our Greenway Views project, which is it's a, it's the biggest seniors living project in Australia at the moment. We had invited the Minister for Aged Care, 27th oh, wow. of March. 27th of March was the opening day. Is that right? In early March, we made the decision to can it. And we all thought at that time, it might have been late February, we all thought at that time, this might be a bit of an exaggeration. Or, yes. You know, we might be overdoing it a bit, but no, we'll do the right thing and make the call. Back in February, we started really ramping up our infection control protocols, etc. When the sort of pandemic call came out, we knew early on that our residents are the most vulnerable. So they are right in that hitting zone of this pandemic and it's life and death stuff. It's not, not stuff you play with. So we made the, some, some tough decisions very early uh, and, and very quickly to make sure that we were compliant and we got our protocols in place. Uh, from a business point of view, we did a lot of business crisis management and all the things that a lot of businesses do. But Steve Brown, who's on our executive, uh, called me on one particular day. He said, mate, we need, we need a mission. We need a focus to get us through. 
and that started uh, what is now what we call LDK's mission COVID-19. So we're, we're a people-first business. The executive team got together very quickly and came up with three key focus points for the business to get through this pandemic. People first, zero outbreaks and zero layoffs. So by being a people-first business, we could know, we, we knew that if we focused on our people, which is our staff and our residents, that we would get through. So the, the focus switched very quickly to our people. Safety of residents and safety of staff was absolute number one priority. Costs and all the other stuff went to the side. We couldn't for a second compromise that, that safety element of it and we needed to treat our people. We had, like everyone else in the world, staff and residents, but staff in particular whose loved ones had just lost their jobs. They'd been laid off overnight. There was huge amounts of anxiety and uncertainty. So we knew that we needed to calm everyone to a degree and we knew that if our people were engaged and focused through the process that we would get through this. So we announced very quickly zero layoffs. We'll do everything within our power as an executive leadership team of this business to make sure we get through this and no one loses their job to the point where if people needed to work from home, uh, sorry, homeschooling, for example, if, if staff couldn't put in the full amount of time for that day, that's okay. No one's going to get overly concerned about that. We trust you. We know you're going to do the right thing. You go and spend your time with your family because right family uh, is more important than, than anything else. Within 12 hours, had our whole support team in Brisbane working from home. So the call was made very quickly. Within then 24 hours, our tech and everything was set up to make sure that people could work comfortably from home. It was a very strong message that we know that you need to get stuff sorted and we know you've got family and loved ones, so they come first. Make sure you get that sorted and, and settled and then come back to, to work. Uh, we had to come up with uh, themes and we had to come up with different initiatives to make sure that we stayed connected because uh, there's no playbook for what, any of this stuff. <laughs> um, Absolutely. We got our way through that and uh, the, the staff, we just got back to 50-50 uh, rotational basis in the support centre this Monday. Everyone's been screaming to get back and really excited to get back, but we actually feel we're a lot closer than what we were as a team beforehand. So we've come out of it tremendously well and I think with a much more engaged team and uh, probably more loyal team because we made the decision first don't be an idiot I worry about the people mm. first we'll get through how do you think about customer outcomes when you've got so much going on right like when you've got pressure to figure all this stuff out literally a range of burning fires from just the very practical to the very big to get some of that safety element you're going to need to spend money that you weren't expecting how do you think about customer experience in that process uh, number one and i should have prefaced the whole thing but the first thing we did was had a discussion around our values and, and our residents when we when we got to the mission COVID 19 uh, one very important resident outcome is safety and security. So their safety came first. We made decisions to obviously create our COVID-19 protocols. We looked very closely at government guidelines and adapted them because we're not a nursing home and we're not a retirement village as, as such. So we adapted them to what was the best outcome for us. We had daily meetings to, to make sure everything was right. Communication was critical. Um, communication obviously within our people but we really ramped up communication to our residents so that we had a very clear consistent message going to our residents and to their family 
Mm. I think in situations like this, you can't over-communicate. So we really ramped that up very quickly to make sure they felt comfortable and that they trusted us uh, to get through. And they knew exactly what our protocols were. We made wellness checks. We had our call centre ringing residents. We set up resident buddy systems if that was needed. Social isolation was a critical concern to mm. us. Uh, we also know that when residents are socially isolated and not moving, that can then create health problems uh, as well, right. not just not just emotional health and well-being, but physical health and well-being. So within a couple of days, the team um, came up with our LDK Connect uh, program, uh, with a whole, whole range of physical programs, exercises that they could do at home, uh, connection programs by linking them up on Zoom and teaching them how to, to use Zoom and other, other sort of technology projects. So they could do that. So we stayed as connected as we possibly could with them by constant wellness checks and how are you going and do you need anything and what can we do? That sort of fed into them, you know, some of the programs that we came up with. How do you guys think about that? Knowing that you're going to deliver great customer experience is going to require this, you know, is it just a case of, man, we're just going to take a, a financial hit here because we don't want to compromise on the experience? Okay, yeah, I'd be interested in that equation. If we're like most businesses on the planet, we were going to take a financial hit. So I spoke about alignment before. We have alignment from the chairman of our board, Paul Wapen, who's the, the CEO of Cromwell and founder of Cromwell and our directors all the way down so that we called a meeting immediately. The message from the board was, we know this is going to cost money. We know that sales of our product is going to drop off immediately you must focus on your people safety mm. absolute safety first from a business point of view we were running away doing doomsday financial modeling to make sure that we were funded and that we would survive the, the period so that was one of the first things that we would do was li literally modeling zero income and, and, and checked right. out what that looked like to make sure we didn't run out of oxygen and that we yeah. get through that gave us comfort that we were sufficiently funded to, to get through a pandemic um, for an extended period of time we knew that we would be able to get through but on our own two feet we, we had the standing so we knew that we we're going to take a hit we've modeled the hit and we're taking the hit but when you talk about the the other side or, or the resident outcomes when, when i'm getting phone calls from residents in our established villages saying, I can't believe how good your team are. We've made sales to the point at the landings in Sydney where it's sold out. Uh, we've made really strong sales with strong results in the last two months. We have nothing more to sell. Our sales and our Greenway project fell through the floor middle of March, but they're now coming back to almost where they were beforehand. Yeah, wow. Again, because people are buying, they're buying in. So, mm. and you get those referrals. And if you keep doing the right thing by your people and you keep, true to your purpose, you, you do generate that value within the, the business. It's been a bit stressful looking at the numbers, but, um, but we know we're in it for the long run, not, not that short-term shareholder so, return. You know, what's great in this story is not only did you execute the right way that was aligned, but you're already seeing strong green shoots as a result of that, which proves the model that is actually continuing to invest in this stuff, which is customer experience and customer outcomes. The numbers will look after themselves. Like it may take a exactly. little bit longer, but actually the numbers will come back even stronger than what you potentially would have expected. So, you know, for yeah. that, uh, you know, congratulations to you and the team. And, and Byron, it was a real pleasure having you on the show. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rated, the market leader in gathering in the moment customer feedback. If you'd like more information, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R A T E itapp.com. If you have any feedback about the show, Michael would love to hear from you directly. You can reach out to him on LinkedIn. Just search for Michael Mobson. 
we've put a link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'll speak to you next time.